Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday. PodcastOne.com and iTunes. Thank you for downloading and streaming as we are now in the home stretch for the holidays. Christmas just a few days away. A very Merry Christmas to all of those who celebrate. A Happy New Year coming up around the corner as well. And hope you're getting some downtime and getting a chance to settle in and enjoy some of the uh, some of the holiday season, if you will. For me. Not so much. <laughs> I am going full steam right through the holidays. I am uh, doing my Sirius XM show on volume pretty much every day, except for the actual holidays themselves. And I am still bringing you new podcast every Thursday, amongst other things. So continuing busy, busy, busy. Just got back from Vail, Colorado. Shot an episode of my TV series for Access TV, Trunk Fest, season two coming next summer. Shot an episode at Snow Days in Vail, Colorado. Never been to Vail before. Only skied one time in my life before. Vail is, as advertised, absolutely beautiful place and uh, expensive place. A lot of money in Vail, but it was a really cool experience. Interviewed an artist by the name of Nathaniel Ratliff, who headlined one of the free concert days there, went and did some skiing, got a ski lesson. Um, just a, a great time in Vail for the latest shoot for Trunk Fest on Access. So that was a lot of fun. And now I am actually looking forward to not being on an airplane for about a month, which is an exceedingly long time for me and my schedule lately. So at least I'll be on the ground for about a month before things go crazy again, starting with the NAM show, which is coming to Anaheim in January that I'll be doing a bunch of different stuff from, and I'll tell you more about when we get a little bit closer. Hope you guys all had a uh, great week so far. And speaking of travel, what I have for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast is an interview that I always wanted to do and I had a chance to do when I was in, on tour with Deep Purple in Mexico recently, and that is an interview with Ian Pace. Ian Pace, to me, 
is one of the most underrated drummers ever. I mean, he truly is one of the greats and I think never talked about really in that conversation like he should be as one of the all-time greats. Also, Ian Pace is a wonderful guy, and he is also the only member of Deep Purple who has been in the band every year for 50 years. Deep Purple's history is now 50 years old, and Ian Pace has been in every single lineup. He is the only guy that has never not been in Deep Purple. From day one in 68 all the way till currently, he is still the drummer in Deep Purple. And one of, like I said, one of the greats. And I always wanted to talk to him because if you interview anybody from Deep Purple, because they have had some different lineups, you can only really talk about the time of the band that they are in it. With Ian Pace, you can talk about every era of the band. So one of my goals when I toured with Deep Purple through Mexico recently was to get a great sit down with Ian Pace. And he was nice enough to do it at one of our stops in Mexico. Unfortunately, as you may hear, and I don't know how well Katie's going to be able to clean this up in editing, but one of the challenges of doing my, and as you know, I say it every week, all the interviews you hear on this podcast originated and happened live on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and heard Monday through Friday live on channel 106 volume from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. And that show replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and is also available on demand on the Sirius XM app. And I tell you this every week, partially because I have to, in order to keep repurposing these interviews, and also to remind you that I hope you come and join us if you live in the U.S., or Canada, and you are not already a SiriusXM subscriber. I talk rock live every day, interviews, and a lot more. And here on this podcast, you get just a little taste of what I do on a daily basis on the SiriusXM show. So one of the challenges when I do that show from the road is getting a good internet connection, because that's how I deliver it back to New York to go out over the satellites. Some of the stops on the tour throughout Mexico with Purple, the internet was great. Others, not so great. Surprisingly, the hotel we were in where we did this interview you're about to hear was like a five-star beautiful hotel, but it had pretty crappy internet. And I had some spikes and some drops during the broadcast, which cut out some talking to Ian Pace. So... I don't know how or where those drops will happen, but be aware if there are what sounds like some sort of jumps or uh, segments edited together that don't totally make sense during the interview you're about to hear. That is because my radio broadcast dropped out and we had to wait till we resumed for it to come back online. So there might be times where it's a little jumpy or disjointed. It shouldn't be all that much, but it may happen. And that is just because of um, some technical issues we had with the broadcast. But the the nuts and bolts of this thing are there. And we talk about the earliest days of Purple, the Gillen Glover period, the Coverdale Hughes period, the Tommy Boland period, the Jolyn Turner period, all of it, with the guy who has been there consistently through every single part of Deep Purple's history, Ian Pace. 
So apologize in advance for any technical sort of hiccups you might hear on this. They were unavoidable given our situation with the connection we had. But just know that uh, the bulk of this is still really good and really great stuff to listen to. Been sitting on this for a little while, been uh, you know, because we did the Ian Gillen one a few weeks ago. So I wanted to spread out the the purple stuff a little bit. So this week I am thrilled to bring you Ian Pace. That is coming up in just a few minutes. I'm also thrilled to let you know I'm recording this open on the Monday prior to you hearing this. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing Getty Lee on my show on volume and Getty has a book out. I'll bring you that interview as my podcast in the next week or two. The deal. So you guys understand is that I have to wait about 10 days until after the interview happens live on Sirius XM. And then it goes through their process of them putting it on replay, putting it out on the app. And then after that period of time happens, I can then bring you the interview here on the podcast. So it'll be, uh, you know, maybe next week, the week after that, I'll get you the Getty Lee audio. I know a lot of people want to hear that. I just did a great interview with Bob Daisley. I'll get you that audio soon. There's a lot of good stuff coming as I continue to bring you podcasts every single Thursday podcast1.com or iTunes. Remember, follow on social media at Eddie Trunk on Twitter on Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddytrunk.com, the official online home. So uh, I think that kind of covers it for the open here. And I will once again wish each and every one of you a very, very Merry Christmas this coming uh, Tuesday. I hope you enjoy it. hope you have a, a great one and a safe one and a healthy one. And I will be back again next Thursday for another all-new episode. And let's get a break in and let's come back and go to Mexico on Deep Purple's recent Mexican tour. Coming up, my conversation with Ian Pace on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you or a loved one get leg or foot cramps, you know how painful and disruptive they can be. Muscle cramps, they can jolt you out of a sound sleep or interrupt your daily life. Well, listen carefully because recently I've told you about and learned about TheraWorks Relief. That is a non-greasy foam that's proven to relieve muscle cramps fast and reduce muscle soreness. Plus, with daily use, TheraWorks Relief can even prevent muscle cramps before they start, so you can get a full night's sleep and do the activities you love without worry. TheraWorks Relief, it only takes minutes to apply, it absorbs quickly, and it truly works. People love the results. You've probably seen Dr. Drew Pinsky on TV talking about TheraWorks Relief. Many of my colleagues on radio, they are also talking about TheraWorks Relief. And now, the holiday season, it's around the corner. So if you know someone who suffers with muscle cramps or muscle soreness, can't think of a better gift than TheraWorks Relief. It is the choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps. Make it yours. Get TheraWorks Relief today in the pain relief aisle at Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, or by talking to your pharmacist. Learn more at TheraWorksRelief.com. It's me, Shaq, the general of Podcast One Sportsnet. Your style for the best sports podcast. We've got it all in one place, from Steve Austin to Jim Harbaugh, Dan Patrick, the official Lakers podcast, and more. 
podcast one sportsnet where it's all going down so whatever sport you're watching or interviews you want to hear or if you just want to laugh here you know what off with my show it's all happening here download the podcast one app and click on podcast one sportsnet in the bottom right corner i'm the general and i'm ordering you to give it a try you'll thank me later and don't forget to listen to the big podcast with Shaq every monday Hey, if you guys like my show, you're going to love Penn's Sunday School on Podcast One. Join famed magician Penn Gillette as he talks about anything and everything from news to religion to anything else that's on his mind. And trust me, he's not about to go easy on anything that ticks him off. Check out Penn's Sunday School every Monday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, let's take you now to a hotel. The name of it escapes me in Mexico. I was joined out in a courtyard in the business center by the one and only Ian Pace of Deep Purple. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there might be a couple little technical glitches throughout this interview. It was unavoidable due to our connection issues. This was broadcast live over the radio, but uh, you will get the bulk of this sounding great, I'm sure, going through the history of Deep Purple with the time we had with Ian Pace. Enjoy. Picking up where we were at, Ian, you were t- we were talking about this being the long goodbye tour. You you accurately point out, obviously, as a drummer, drummers are the first p- artists that really start to, because it is so physical, you start to see people sort of fall off. I'll be honest, and I've said this, not just because you're sitting here, you, you still play as well as you've ever played, but do you have, I know you had a stroke a couple years ago, yeah. but do you have aches and pains? Is it? No, I was very lucky. Yeah. Some people get the big one first first time up and they're, they're finished you know i got the warning shot and luckily luckily enough i could get to a really good hospital very quickly they got me straight again and said you've got to take these four pills every day for the rest of your life and it should be okay so now we're into the third year so they look so far it's going good what were the symptoms of the stroke when you had it did you lose consciousness or no it's very weird i woke up and i just my right arm just felt really strange and i, I went to comb my hair and I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold the brush. And it was just, it, the, my hand just wouldn't, wouldn't do what I told it. And, you know, we have the information, so you know, you know that something's actually happened. And you've got a good idea what it is. You start looking at your face in the mirror to make sure it hasn't dropped off or anything like that, and it seemed to look all right. But whatever it was that did it to me was very, very minor and, and sorted itself out very quickly, but the damage had been done. So they kept me in hospital for like 36 hours, hydrated me, uh, got some blood thinners in because basically my, my blood's too thick. You know, as you're a younger man, it seems to deal with it okay. As you get a bit older, it gets a little more critical. Anyway, so I've been taking these four tablets every day, which is no big deal. And everything seems to be okay. And so every day that I can function and all my bits work, I'm just very thankful for. And so many drummers I've talked to, I mean, like I said, you've played in purple alone for 50 years. So many that I talk to, uh, they have ailments with their shoulders, their elbows, their wrists. Yeah. What, you're good in all those areas? No yeah, issues? I, I think a lot of that comes from if you're doing it incorrectly, you can damage yourself. Uh, I don't know why, but whatever it is I do on stage for me is okay. And uh, I don't get aches in joints, I don't have arthritis, I don't have any muscular pain, you know, I don't have back problems. So whatever it is I'm doing is, is exactly correct for me. Uh, lots of guys, and especially from my generation and, and from my country, 
taught themselves how to play. And most of us taught ourselves totally incorrectly with all, with all the problems that can, that can you know, manifest later on. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the, the problem you see is people, maybe they're sitting in the wrong position or they're holding sticks the wrong way or they're holding sticks that are too big or they're trying to hit too hard. You know, all those things that, you know, when, when you're 21 years old, you can get away with. Mm. A little later in life, maybe those things come and bite you. Yeah. And it changes. But it's not just drummers. I mean, the most fragile instrument we have is the voice. Right. You know, uh, I, have, I have things in front of me that help make the noise. Uh, singers only got that very, very fine, you know, pair of vocal cords there to create it. So, you know, the, we're the two hardest working guys, that's for sure. Yeah, I talked to Ian Gillen about that on Monday when he was on with me because I think Roger the other day or Steve had made a comment to me because I thought Ian sounds great. He really yeah. does. And the whole band is still so powerful, still sounds so good. And I said, and, and Roger made a comment or Steve that Ian had found his new voice, yeah. which, which um, and I asked Ian to explain that a little bit. And he talked about the adjustments to his style and that, you know, he won't be singing Child in Time anytime no. soon, but yeah. that's understandable. Yeah. And, uh, and he's done a great job with that. I mean, when you, I have, I'm a big believer in the bands that I love as much as I love them. I'd much rather see them end respectfully and still sound good yeah. than as the term goes, stay too long at the party. Yeah. Shadow, and, shadow of what they should. Yeah. Be. yeah. And then the last, your last memory of them was like, Oh man, there were, you know, they weren't even close to what they once no, were. Right. So yeah. from what I'm seeing on this tour, you guys aren't even close to that. Honestly, you aren't, no. but you want to get out before you do have those problems. Yeah, of course. You know, and you know, th- those sort of things don't, don't usually it's not like falling off a cliff you know there, there'll be a couple of gigs where you go hey i just can't do that anymore and i have a feeling i'm not gonna be able to do it again and so before it does you know get to that lemming point where you fall off the cliff uh, we'll all know that it's time to stop but we're having fun you know and uh, the idea of saying the long goodbye was never just just to say this is the last show that's a scary thing to say mm. and so many bands have done it this is the last show the last time and six months later, they're going mad and they come back and do it all over right. again. And so to say the last thing, we just tried to, to break away from. Uh, and uh, there's still lots of places that we haven't played on this long goodbye tour. Until I think we've played everywhere, um, there's no reason why it shouldn't continue a little bit longer. But I say it's in the, it's in the lap of the gods. And uh, one day you just wake up and go, I can't or I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, so that's where it is. But for me, I keep it going so long as I know that I'm being me on stage mm-hmm. and not the shadow of me. Mm. And I think that applies to the other guys too. Yeah, I think we need to know inside ourselves that you know we're, we're worth our ticket money when people come and see us. That's real important. Yeah, well, it's clear that you are. And having seen these shows, I can attest to that. The shows sound absolutely incredible. The band sounds incredible. And uh, again, I don't believe there's any reason why a band should ever end as long as they are still able to deliver. Uh, some of my favorite bands have stayed too long, honestly, yeah. and I don't even go to see them anymore. And then others are, are you know, like watching Purple the last two, three nights. It's, uh, it's as powerful as it's ever sounded. And glo- you make an interesting point because I've often said this, Deep Purple globally has always been such a global band. You guys, even now at this point in your career, touring Places in the world most bands don't even go, uh, including right here in Mexico, a full tour of Mexico that you're yeah. doing. So it's really, it's really something that obviously has paid off and, and, and contributed to a fan base that 
is very diverse from men and women to different ages and, and all these different uh, uh, age groups coming to see the band. It, it's got to feel really, really good. And, and I want to you know, comment on that. And of course, I want to talk about the history of the band and so much more. Was that a, a something from the start when it came to Deep Purple that you were going to really be a band that worked the world? Uh, I don't think it's a conscious thing that you actually do. Um, remember, when I, when I joined Purple, I was sort of 19 years old. I was a kid. I was having a great deal of fun. I never actually thought beyond the next day. Uh, we just wanted to play everywhere we could. And obviously that initially was Europe. But then, of course, you know, the first record came out and Hush was such a big hit that we could come to the States. And that was an amazing adventure, you know. So, you know, all of a sudden we had we had two places to work. We had Europe and we had the US, which was fantastic. Uh, and then we had the, the breakup of... The first, you know, change of lineup of the band when when Rod and Nick left and Ian and Roger came in, and then we found we had Japan, because we'd been there. Nobody else had been there, and then the record of Made in Japan came out, and that was successful. So it was sort of like the, it was like bits of the puzzle were being put together by somebody else. But we, if somebody asked us to go there, we went. I'll be right back with more with Ian Pace of Deep Purple on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, every car comes with its share of stories. The ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, right? But now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more with Ian Pace of Deep Purple on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. You mentioned the beginning. You mentioned Hush becoming such a big hit right out of the gate. Yeah. Young band like that take you by surprise to all of a sudden have a hit to this day when you play it. The crowd goes crazy. Yeah, well, just I just we wish we'd written it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe South wrote a, a wonderfully you know, communicative song. Yeah, everybody, whether they like metal or whether they like folk, they know that song and they love it. So it's just one of the things. And basically, the magic of it is we turned it into a samba. You know, John John's rhythmic idea in it took it somewhere that that the, the composer never thought he would go. But it sort of worked really well. And, of course, when, once we realized that we were getting some action on that song, uh, the excitement of coming over to the U.S., because none of us had been outside of Europe. You know, that, that's, that's America. Wow. Yeah, and, our first, and our first night, we flew from London to L.A. The first time we came over. And uh, we stayed at a hotel that is still there, the, the Sunset Marquee. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first night, and we met, met at the airport with all these 
caddies and things, and they, that's like Disneyland as well. The first night we said we were going to a party, you know, we all jet lagged out, but said, you've got to go to a party. And right around the corner, Hugh Hefner had his, his uh, a penthouse uh, apartment right up on Sunset. And so we went there, and all of a sudden we were surrounded by all these sort of A-list rock and rollers and movie stars and sports people, and we're in another world. And what, what, it, what he'd done is when we did his show the next night, the Playboy After Dark, the studio was decked out exactly like his penthouse. So they were doing little shots in the, in the actual penthouse from the night before. Oh, wow. And then did the, the, all the, 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 the showbiz Rasmussen stuff in, in the studio. And, uh, you know, we were just five English guys and taken to another world. Yeah. I remember dancing with this beautiful young lady. And, uh, and I found out her name was Jackie DeShannon. And all I knew that Jackie DeShannon was this beautiful voice I heard on the radio, you know. And then I was like, I'm doing well here. I'm going to with Jackie DeShannon. <laughs> and then I heard this really dark brown voice. Sort of, sort of, do you mind if I cut in? <laughs> and I turned around, I was staring at this guy's waistband. And it was uh, oh, big football player. Jim Smith, Joe, Jim Brown, Jim Brown. Oh, really? Jim Brown. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just kept looking up at this huge man mountain, <laughs> and in my life, yeah, yeah, okay, man, yeah, came. <laughs> yeah, you were you're new to America. You're not going to fight that guy. That's for sure. Uh, so those early years are great memories for you. Oh, they're funny, man. You know, when you're around long enough, you have all these lovely stories, and that, and although they're old, in your mind they're fresh as a daisy. Yeah. They were just so vibrant and so exciting. You know? the, yeah. the, the change that happened, which uh, you know, a lot of people consider to the, the, what, what is commonly called the Mark II lineup, yeah. which is with Ian Gillen and Roger Glover and their arrival in the band yeah. and the creation of those records and that lineup that, cre you know, and of course, you know, the contributions of, of Richie and John to, to make songs that to this day make up a lot of your set list mm -hmm. that you play. Can you talk about their arrival into this as, as the guy that was there before? I mean, uh, yeah. did, had you had an eye on them? Did you, did you see that coming? No, what, what happened in, the, in the, the year and a half that we'd been together as Purple from its inception? Subconsciously, Richie, John, and I were going in a different direction musically. We were being obviously influenced by what was on around us, but we were taking it somewhere harder. <clears throat> and it's somewhere that Rod... Rod Evans couldn't go. His voice was not built for that. He couldn't do that. And Nick Simper didn't want to go. So we had this sort of <clears throat> little split in the band. Uh, nobody really wanted it to happen, but we realized if, if the three of us were going to take it to the next stage, that then there had to be a personnel change who could come with us. Oh, I'm so sorry. I meant to turn it off before I came Oh, that's okay, man. Yeah, that's all right. There we go. Um, so, you know, it was sort of forced on us through the, the I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say limitation of Rod's voice because he had a good voice, but he couldn't go where we were, we were, we were driving to. And I say Nick didn't want to do it. So when we made the change, a friend of Richie, uh, another gr very good drummer, uh, said, you've got to come and check out the singer in our band. So Richie and John went along and checked out Ian working with Episode 6, which was a pop band. Mm -hmm. uh, and... They really liked what they heard. And also, you know, amazing, charismatic-looking young man. You know, front guys do need to look right as well. Mm -hmm. Well, they did need to then. Right. Um, and basically, Ian was sort of in 
almost immediately before I'd even seen him or heard him. Mm-hmm. Richie and John said, "This is this is the guy." This is a guy going to come and do it. Interesting that even though he was playing pop mm-hmm. and you talked about wanting to go in a harder direction with Purple, mm-hmm. which you did, yeah. you, you still saw in him the ability to do what you, where you were going to go, even though he was episode six was, was a pop-leaning band. Yeah, well, whatever he did on stage obviously impressed Richie and John. And it was obviously the, the ability to that, that, that amazing scream, the ability to – and it's not really screaming. It's controlled, it's controlled power singing, you know. Right. Um, and I think Richie and John just saw that they could create music that would uh, really utilize that ability of Ian to do that sort of stuff. And we were we were chucked in the studio, uh, you know, got to make a single, got to make a single. We haven't got anything, got to make a single. And we we're off, we haven't got a bass player. So he <laughs> said, so why didn't you bring Roger along? He can play bass and do the session. Well, we did the record, and Roger played okay, so Roger was in the band too. It was that simple. Uh, can I ask you, let, let me ask you, you know, obviously that nucleus of yourself, John Lord and Richie Blackmore, um, you you can't talk about Purple without the Im- impact no. of Blackmore and no, what he, he brought to this band and the good, the bad, you know, I mean, no. the stories, all of the stories. But But when you first... Your history with him, did you grow up with him? How did you originally meet him? And what was, everyone kind of has heard the stories about Blackmore and the temperament and all these things over the decades. Mm. But as kids, when you were young, yeah. what, what was he like then? What, what did, do you, do you, did you immediately recognize his br- brilliance as a player and, and writer? And did you see qualities in him that could later become problems even early on? Um, I don't think you saw the problems because you know, when you're putting a band together, it's all very exciting. Uh, Richie's demeanor has always he's always been sort of like a loner you know he, he's part of you but he's not part of you and that's always been there but I first met him a year before Purple was formed and Richie was well known amongst musical circles back in Britain because he was one of the best players around you know and he'd been around a long time even though he wasn't that much older he'd been in studio since like 16 17 years old well wow. you know so we all know Richie Blackmore, you know, that was it. And he was sort of like this uh, mythical guy even then to us. Uh, anyway, I was playing with my band, which was with Rod Evans, at the Star Club in Hamburg. And this was right towards the end of the German club scene. It was 1967. And Richie was living in Hamburg then, and he used to pop in the club and see us play. And he liked he liked the way I played, and he came and told me one night and and uh, we did our three weeks there, and we went back home and thought nothing more about it because Richie continued to live in Hamburg. Anyway, eight, nine months later, uh, Rod said, look, I'm leaving the band. I've, I've agreed to join a new band being formed. And when he went along for the audition to the band that would become Deep Purple, Richie re- recognized and remembered the band from the year before the Star Club, at the Star Club. He said, have you still got the drummer? And Rod said, yeah, but you've got to bring him along. Because John had not seen me play. You know. Anyway, so they snuck me in. Because there was already a drummer there. Very good player by the name of Bobby Woodman. Uh, but it, obviously it wasn't, <laughs> magic wasn't happening. So very sneakily, he was sent down to the village to get some cigarettes. And I sat on his kit and stole his job. <laughs> <laughs> I know he'd have done the same for me if the roles had been reversed. (laughs) And the rest is history, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.
So so the so the ups and downs with with Blackmore well chronicled, but back then it was just he was still. He, it sounds like even in the earliest stages, still sort of a mythical, mysterious sort of figure in some ways. Yeah, a little less than it became, obviously, because as as his reputation and the mystique of the man grew, you know, it's it's like rolling a snowball down the hill; it gets bigger all by its by its own momentum. Um, but towards the end, when life was getting more difficult with Richie, it wasn't like he'd really changed. He'd just become a more condensed version of himself. Mm. And I think the big change was once he had his own band, which was Rainbow, I think he liked being the boss. My dad was a musician before me, and he said a, tr a truism. He said, whenever you step out front from the band... When he's going back into the dance man days, you can never go back. Once you're used to having it the way you want it, it's almost impossible to go back and be the sideman again. Mm. And I think that was the same for Richie. I think he enjoyed uh, being in control of everything that, that his band was doing. And uh, when we got Purple back together again in, in, the, uh, in mid-84... Perfect Strangers. Yeah. I think he was okay for a little while. But then I think that need to be the band leader, again, started to resurface. And, of course, nobody will ever put down the importance of Richie or John for the, the creation of lots of those early records. And Roger. A lot of those tracks were, came from wonderful bass riffs as well. Mm -hmm. People don't really think about that. So it wasn't just the guitar, and it wasn't just the keyboards. Roger was incredibly important. He used to come up and say, well, I've got this bass riff. And five minutes later, you had a song because it was so good. Can you um, give us an example of that? Well, a lot of it came up on the In Rock record. Um, Into the Fire, those sort of things. Very, very bass-heavy, bass-riff things. And he still does it to this day. He'll come in with, a, with a, something that, on the f face of it, makes very little sense. He says, well, it, but if you do that against this, we'll see how that sounds. Space Truckin', if I can jump in a second, Space Truckin' to me, the open of Space Truckin', mm. that sounds like something that could have originated on bass, that riff. Dun, dun, dun. Yes or no? I can't remember that. All I know is that the, the rhythmic opening to that, that was a drum idea. You're doing the stabs. Do, do, yeah. Do, do, do. Could we done it before on a much earlier record with, with uh, Rod Evans? I think it was... Oh, there, was a, there was a track where the... The rhythmic timing of the riff was a drum creation. Mm. You know, I said, "Well, this 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 timing of notes would be interesting. What you got to do is put a riff to it. <laughs> you guys do it. There's, there's 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 the starting point. And and in a lot of our tunes, the starting point's the most important thing. Yeah. I remember with with Perfect Strangers, the actual track. Although I'm not credited as a writer on it, but, you know, that's fine. But Richie had had this sort of semi-eastern riff in his head for years, but he didn't know what to do with it. And uh, he said, what's, what's a tempo we've never done? I said, well, you know, we've never done this one. And then something went click, and he went, oh, hang on. And then that riff fit perfect with this tempo. So it, it just takes a trigger sometimes. And, of course, that's a song that's still in the Deep Purple live set, and yeah. that massive keyboard intro that is uh, so iconic from, from that, it's it, it, it just... Uh, you know, such a such a great track that still endures. I, I asked this to Ian Gillen the other day because you can't not mention when you're talking about that period of the band Smoke on the Water. And I was just asking Ian his recollections, if he had any, of when it was 
first presented or put together and if there was any clue that it would become what it's become and for you do you have any any recollection of that actually hearing that riff for the first time or that uh, we all know the lyric and the story that he wrote but in terms of just when you're in the studio starting to record what is easily one of the most iconic rock songs in history do you know do you know at that point like what this is this is 50 years from now people are going to be still playing it in every guitar center no, you know, trying to have a guitar. Not a clue. And even when the track was done, the basic backing track was done, we just thought it was another nice album track. Uh, because as good as the riff is, and it's a magnificent riff, uh, it's it's the sum of the parts that makes it work. It is sure. it is the the story. It is the hook. It is the da-da-da-da-da, the top line bit. It all comes together right. But to us, it was just the, the first track we'd try to get into the mode of recording. And... Uh, I say, we just did that one track in this big ballroom and we got thrown out for the police for being too loud. And we sort of forgot about it. And we went into this other place, the Grand Hotel, where we did the body of the, the record. And we realized we were a track short. And they said, what about the one we did, what about, we, you know, when we were in the ballroom? Let's have a listen to that. Well, that sounds all right, you know. And it took on from there. But for us, it was nothing special. And uh, I think with that riff, because it is so simple, it's the familiarity of it that gets inside people's brains. So when you only heard it a couple of times, you guess all right. But you've heard it a couple of hundred times. There's something still connects, you know. Um, it is a magic song, and it's great fun to play. Uh, it's not quite as simple as everybody thinks it is because it's it's not brutal. It has a a little bouncy skip in the rhythm. Uh, I, I hear other people playing it, and they all get it wrong. <laughs> they all play it too too hard and too heavy, and they forget it has to have, it has to be like a wave, like a water wave. It has to, has to flow, and if it doesn't have that, it just becomes a, a plodding trudge, yeah. you know. And if you don't have that inherent little secret knowledge in your head about what you were trying to get when you when you created it, then you can never play it. Yeah. You know? So you know, it's it's, it's it's hey, God bless it. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Still to this day, you hear all these Mexican fans on this tour singing it back. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is absolutely remarkable what that song is. I have to hit a break. Ian Pace is with me in Mexico. We are in Guadalajara, Deep Purple Place here tomorrow night as they are on their long goodbye tour. There is so I know that I'm jumping around sections very quickly, but I'm already looking at time running short in about 40 minutes that we have to wrap up. And I want to touch on some different eras of the band. And I also really want to touch on um, some of the things you've done outside of Purple with whatever time we have here. So let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll continue talking about all those things with Ian Pace. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, let me tell you guys about Robinhood. It is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating ways for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. That's what you want. Simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. You may have thought about getting involved in stocks. You may be intimidated by it. You may not know what to expect. You may not. You may be worried about it. Well, this is the way to get involved, folks. No commission fees. 
Other brokerages, they charge up to 10 bucks for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission. No fees. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. It's easy to use, and you learn by doing. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at trunk.robinhood.com. That's my last name, T-R-U-N-K, dot robinhood.com. Once again, free stock, Apple, Ford, Sprint, stuff like that. Help build your portfolio free. Just go to trunk.robinhood.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more with Ian Pace of Deep Purple on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. So, Ian, obviously, tremendous success with with Ian Gillen and Roger Glover. And then that changes. And then burn happens. And uh, a a record that, I mean, you know, I love. And uh, a different turn for the band with Glenn Hughes coming in and David Coverdale, both of whom were included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. What, What is your recollection of that period of time with Stormbringer and and then of course we'll touch on Tommy Boland coming sure. in later, which was a huge thing as well. And and you know to think of of, of at the time Purple yeah. without Blackmore, but but Burn, I mean coming Burn as an album and and a, a, a major lineup change of two members at that time. Mm-hmm. Burn is still a it's a hell of a record, man. Well, when you once you've gone through this massive change again, and you have. Uh, this reputation you're taking with you, whatever you do next has got to be able to stand up to what you did before. It, ca- it can't be like, you know, Deep Purple Light. And although it was going to be a different direction because the vocal sounds were totally different, the spirit remained the same. And the ability of the instrumentalists in the band to actually do extraordinary stuff uh, helped maintain that, you know. The title track itself... Uh, I listen to it, and that's one of the things I'm very proud of, you know. Oh. Uh, when you work in that, that crazily, and, you know, on that, which that song is, and all the, all the stupid drum fills everywhere, you're in the lap of the gods. And the fact that you actually manage to get a take where everything is just, you know, just good enough to keep and make it really work, that's a miracle. You know, we don't record like that in rock and roll anymore. It's a little safer. Everything is a little more controlled. Just the, the environment's different, you know. We didn't have click tracks then. You know, we didn't have digital recording, which needs things to be able to be broken up very, very perfectly. So there was a, a freedom there. And and the maniac of use, you know. I can do anything. You know, I'm bulletproof. I'll live forever. I'll do this because nobody can stop me. Who Who's that? The maniac of who? <laughs> Everybody who's young is a maniac. Oh, okay. A youth. They, I thought yeah, you said a youth. fuse. I thought no. you meant Glenn. <laughs> no, no. Uh, youth. No, no. No, no. So that, so, so that all contributed to that. But we knew that when Ian had left because he wanted to do something else and Roger was got the short end of the stick because there's no reason he sh- he did need to leave, but he was promoted sideways, you know. Um the next offering had to had to have something of the past, but it had to be looking forward. Were you amazed, and I've noticed this throughout Purple's career, no matter what version of the band, and there's been many, at that point especially, the fa- a lot of the fan base came along. You know, per- yeah. Burn was a success. I mean, you guys were still, I've seen the videos, the California Jam, yeah. and all these things that were going on. A band taking a hit, losing 
bass player and, and, and obviously man. and and frontman singer. Yeah. And then here's Coverdale, who was completely unknown at the time. Yeah. Glenn came out of Trapeze, so he, some people had known him, but yeah. still big change to the band. But the fan base remained. I think at that point we have to remember that as six, as as important as the singers were, we were still living in the time of guitar heroes, you know. And Richie was still there. Yeah, the guitar was God's instrument at that point in time. Yeah. And that him still being there was very, very important to that change. And then, of course, we know th album three with that lineup, yeah. he was not there. No. And and that is Come Taste the Band with yeah. the arrival of Tommy Bolin, yeah. uh, who, was a, who was, by every account, I didn't know him, but by every account was a, a brilliant player, but a troubled guy with a lot of, uh, of issues. Yeah. Your recollection of Come Taste the Band in that particular lineup? Well, Tommy was a sweetheart. I mean, he was, in his character, he was everything that Richie wasn't. He was gentle, easygoing, uh, out of control, yeah, but not, not in a way that was good for him. You know, he had the chemical dependence, which he hid very, very well from us. Um, but the first, uh, the first sign of that he was not living the same life as we were living was when we'd flown over to Munich to do, start doing recording for Come Taste the Band. Because, you know, we knew, we knew his work from James Gang and, 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 and all those different bands. He was Billy Cobham. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And brilliant, you know. Yeah. Uh, and in the studio, he was fantastic. He was creative. Everything was under control. He, he, he was good there. We found out on stage if things went slightly wrong, he fell to pieces. You know, didn't have that strength of character on stage. But anyway, he'd been out to some some German club, and we we were just listening through roughs and working out what we can do the next few days. And we'd all been to we'd been to a, a friendly doctor, and we got a, a nice sleeping pill each, so make sure we could you know start getting on the right time zone. And Tommy came back with these two. Um, voluptuous German ladies, one on each arm, basically holding him up. And he saw these five tablets on the on the desk there, and he went, he just swooped the whole lot up and went, pow, straight down. And then he asked, what do these do? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and we said, look, and we he said, well, Tommy, you're going to have a really good sleep for a couple of days. <laughs> and he went, and he looked at these two beautiful women and went, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he did. He slept for two days. Wow. How tough was it for him? You know, I talked to Steve. I had Steve Morse on Monday. Mm. And Steve still, well, well, now Don's the new guy, but Steve is still kind of the new guy after 25 <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half of the existence of Purple, Steve Morse has been the guitar player. But, but, but. He's a, colon he's a colonial rebel, you have to understand that. <laughs> he's not from the old world. <laughs> <laughs> but Tommy Bolin came into Deep Purple. You know, he was the first guy that was going to – he was the first guy to replace, yeah. as you mentioned, Blackmore, who was so loved. Yeah. Uh, had to be tough for him that first. I mean – but but again, you know what's crazy, Ian? I saw some videos and there's some documentaries and mm. DVDs that have been released. You guys would go to places like Indonesia or stuff and still play stadiums. Yeah. With, with with down to two guys from what is considered the classic lineup. I know it is. You look back and it's sort of remarkable, um, but at that point we re we realised that as great as Tommy was in the studio, he was that bad on stage because mm -hmm. he had no control if things went wrong, uh, and and also his dependency on these chemical nasties was starting to become very apparent. Uh, so we knew that that it was not going to be a long term thing. And also, Glenn was getting into trouble with them. Um, not the, the nasty stuff that Tommy was doing, but he was getting 
uh, sidetracked by some of these things. And we ended up with a with a split in the band. There was David, John, and myself, who were basically like a drink. And we had Tommy, who was on this downward slope to, to his end, you know, and Glenn on the other side. And it stopped being fun. And we looked at each other one day. We'd done a gig in Liverpool. We said, that's it. We can't do this anymore, you know. We've got two guys refusing to play unless they can get what they need, and three guys here just trying to have fun, make music. And that was the end of that. And, you know, and, and Glenn has said that, I mean, of course, sadly, of course, Tommy passed away, but uh, Glenn has been the first to say that he's amazed he's still alive. And yeah. not only is he still alive, but, I mean, he's yeah. <laughs> still remarkable as a singer yeah. and his abilities, and, and he turned his life around. So yeah, the yeah. light went on for him. That's right. I, I, have, a, I have a theory that there, no matter whether you're a plumber, uh, a rock and roll star, a classical violinist. There, most people have a line. It's a line you don't see, but you line. It's a line you know is there, and you don't go beyond it. You get as crazy as that line, and you stop. Mm. The ones who get damaged are the ones that don't even know there's a line there, and they just keep going and keep going, and then we don't have them anymore. Do you remember the last Purple gig with Tommy? Was that considered, did you kind of feel like it was over for the band at that point? Uh, oh, yeah. The that, band was done? That was that, that, that was it. show in Liverpool. But we'd finished a tour in the Far East before that, and he couldn't play. He'd, he'd scored some bad stuff, and he'd shot up, and he'd, his arm was dead. Yeah. So he had to tune his guitar to an open bar chord, and he, he could just play like his finger was a, with a steel guitar because he had no control over it. And that's when we knew it was on, you know, it was it was going. And God bless him, a couple of years later, after he'd left the band, once we'd heard he'd passed, sad, but no surprise. Yeah. Know, no surprise at all. And interestingly enough, you, you know, Coverdale would form Whitesnake, and there was a bit of an incestuous time there because yeah. you went and played with him in Whitesnake. John was in Whitesnake yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. So so you guys kind of like there was a lot of cross-pollinization between Purple and Whitesnake for a bit. Well, it's the same thing with Rainbow as well. I mean, yeah. quite honestly. True, with Roger going yeah. there. and yeah, There aren't that many good guys around who can actually do the job. Or let's put it that at that point, there weren't that many guys who were good enough to do what was being required. And so the nature of the limited gene pool meant that, you know, you were going to keep bumping into each other. Mm. You know, uh, it's just the way it was. There were a handful of really good players of each instrument, and it was natural selection. They kept making them bump into each other. You know, speaking of the cross-pollinization, then, of course, there's a very brief period of rainbow where Jolyn Turner is the singer, mm -hmm. who, of course, was Richie's singer in Rainbow uh, yeah. and, and all that. Yeah. And, and one record that came out of that and, and tour, and, and to this day, I mean, Joe, who's uh, like me from Jersey originally, a Jersey guy and lives in part predominantly in Russia these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he, talk about that because that was the, there yeah. was a bit of a line there because people were like, it was almost as much rainbow as it was yeah, yeah, purple. Yeah. So well, well, the problem was, um, again, there were so few people who could actually sing. We auditioned a couple of guys and they were okay, but that okay don't cut it. Now, whatever wherever Joe is, he has a great set of pipes. Uh, and although I never thought he was the right guy to be in purple, we're still beholding to him because he gave us time to get Gillen back again. Mm -hmm. You know, had we just said that's it, it we wouldn't be talking here today. Mm. But he gave us those few months where... Uh, 
personalities could be uh, convinced that this was the right thing to go back to. Third time for Ian yeah, yeah, coming yeah, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. But without that little hiatus that uh, Joe gave us, I, I don't think we would have existed again. And so to that, I'm always thankful he was there, even though I still maintain he was never the right guy for the band. But there was nobody else out there we could get who could sing. Yeah. And that's, you know, so sometimes self-preservation does come into it. But there's a couple of moments on, on Slaves and Masters which are nice records. Yeah. You know, the, 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 is it one of the better albums? I, I don't know. But there's a couple of nice tracks on it. And uh, the point is it kept us t together as a band. And that's sort of, that's all you have. You know, if, if you're a musician and you, you, you're blessed with being in, in, a, in a band which uh, provides a living for you that you have fun with, then to see it just blown apart in front of you is very, very hard to take. And if you can, if you can, if you can stop that hand grenade going off, you do everything you can to stop it happening. Was there ever any? We talk, Ian, Ian came, Ian Gillen came and went three times. Current, of course, still currently back in the band. But was there any ever any thought given to revisiting and going back to David and Glenn again? No. Uh, the The reason Richie left was the influence of David and Glenn was taking it away from being primarily a hard rock and roll band into uh, funk R&B funk R&B stuff, which Richie doesn't like. Right. Uh, and there's nothing David or Glenn could do about it. That's what they are. And there's nothing Richie could do about it because that's what he is. Uh, he was becoming unhappy. He didn't like the, you know, you've got 40% of the band pushing in one direction. Uh, it's hard to maintain what you had before because it's just, you know, it's the chemistry of the five people together pushing in the same way or interacting the same way that makes what happens, happens. When that's being pulled in the direction somebody doesn't want to go, well, Richie did the only thing that he felt he could, and that was say, it's time for me to go and do something else. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, incredibly, ridiculously long overdue, but finally justice was served a couple <laughs> years ago yeah. when you went in. Um, looking back on the evening, did it go the way you wanted it to go? Were you happy with it? Were there things you wish were different? It was fine. You know, we all know what it is. It's... Uh, it basically, it's it's for your fans who think that you should be there. Whether it changes your life at all, as the inductee, I, I have no doubt it hasn't changed mine. Uh, the sad thing was, it was too late for John to be there. Yeah, <laughs> and that's if there's a crime in it, that's what it is. Uh, whatever the reason, it kept being deferred and deferred and deferred. There's lots of stories about it. I won't go into them, but it should have happened. I mean, there there are lots of people in that club who maybe shouldn't be i couldn't agree with you more <laughs> I, I i'm a voter and i voted and pushed for you guys literally for 20 years i yeah, screamed yeah. about it mm -hmm. as others did as well but i actually have a vote and i screamed about it for that exact reason mm -hmm. i i unfortunately never got to know john lord and yeah. didn't know him but i know so many people who yeah. th that did that told me so many amazing wonderful things and it same thing happened with yes they they put yeah. yes on the back burner so long chris squire yeah. finally went in was not there to see it so yeah. it is it is that is one of the reasons why i'm such a believer in that whatever you think of the hall of fame that it yeah. should be a seniority sort of based thing so that the, pe the key and an people importance and an importance to you know and it's not some it's not like saying that what we did uh is like going to change the world but for a lot of people it's something that made their lives happier and they enjoyed I mean, we're talking millions of people and on that level it's really important and they're the people that need to have their belief in what they think is worthwhile honored 
And it's not so much for the musicians, it's for those guys. The guys who bought the records, the guys who bought the concert tickets, who said, I like this band because I think they're, they're better than anything else. Now show me that I'm right. And I think that's, that's the important thing. And one of the biggest criteria of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is influence. And, there, you know, you'd be a fool to not be able to, to not acknowledge the, the, you know, the massive influence of Deep Purple. I, <laughs> one quick story that I've got to go to break here. And then I want to come back and I want to talk to you about a few things you've done outside of Purple. And okay. again, I know I just scratched the surface on the Purple stuff. But <laughs> in the interest of time, you know, um, but I, I uh, you know, obviously, of course, you know that Lars Ulrich is, you yeah. are his iconic band. No. <laughs> so one no. night, Lars and I were hanging out in L.A. He had just done my TV show, and we were at the Chateau Marmont, yeah. and it was late, and he had champagne. And champagne we were, bottles disappearing over the uh, yeah, yeah. coming Showing up out of the shrubbery and yeah, we were yeah, just yeah. it was one of those nights yeah. and he we got into it and he we went deep down the deep purple rabbit hole and he yeah. goes on his phone and i just texted him the other day to yeah. tell him i was with you guys and he is he's uh this is the japan japan show from set this is the version <laughs> not and he's playing me all this stuff and he said this is the greatest band that ever lived and, you know <laughs> so so that sort of passion is you know from a guy who's obviously had an a, and continues to have an unbelievable yeah. career yeah. that just shows the mark that purple has made on on so many that you, you know you could make the argument many of our favorite bands to, that are active today wouldn't yeah. exist without what you guys did so on that i often said on the basis of smoke on the water alone you should have gone in the first year <laughs> eligible for the hall of fame but it's yeah. obviously uh, thankfully corrected now yeah Got to get a break in. When we come back, we're going to have about 10, 15 minutes left with Ian Pace. And I want to talk a little bit more, maybe a couple other quick things on Purple. But I do want to talk about some of the things that he did outside of Deep Purple as well. And uh, we'll do that right after this. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's the holiday season, the giving time of year, and our exclusive partners here at Podcast One, BetOnline.ag, are in that giving season with two incredible promotions that you absolutely do not want to miss out on. First, create a free account on BetOnline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Yes, a 50% sign-up bonus. Looking to give a friend or family member a very fun gift this year? Well, take advantage of their Refer-A-Friend program, where you can give a 200% bonus to your friend up to $200. That's amazing. Whether you're into all the exciting sports happening from NFL to college football to NBA to college basketball to NHL, or you enjoy the fun of movies and television with betonline.ag, early lines of the Oscar Awards, or who is the first to perish in Season 8 of Game of Thrones. Betonline.ag is the only place to get in on all this action. Go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today and try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for 50% sign-up bonus and get your holiday shopping done early with their refer-a-friend promotion. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more with Ian Pace of Deep Purple on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. 
Can you share the story you just told me, told me off air? Yeah, of course I can. <laughs> I'm sure Glenn has told it before, but yeah, yeah. everybody knows Glenn was yeah. a wild man in his days. Just read his book. Yeah. There's nothing he didn't spare in that. But no. you guys used to, you at that time, had your own plane. Well, we used to, <laughs> on our own, we rented this this ridiculously wonderful uh, plane called the Starship, which was a Boeing 720B. And if you if you prepared to give all the profit of the tour just for the rent of the plane, it was fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were about to leave from L.A., and this car came roaring up to the to the plane, and this guy was owed substantial money by Glenn for certain substances he bought. And he was going to hurt Glenn unless Glenn paid up. And Glenn hadn't got any money. The guy um, literally pulled up on the tarmac yeah, up to the plane. Yeah, you could still do it. You could do it in those days, you know. <laughs> You're getting ready to take off. Yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. just shows up at yeah, your plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, Glenn's flipping around. Anybody got any cash? Anybody got any cash? Uh and John said, I've got some. What do you need? And I said, I need three grand. And John <laughs> looked through a few pockets and said, they are. And the guy disappeared. So Saved Glenn's ass, basically. On that day. He wanted to shoot I, I can't guarantee what happened the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about some of the things you've done outside of Deep Purple. One of uh, my favorites, a guy that unfortunately is no longer with us, uh, the the late Gary Moore, yeah, and great, great you uh, you you performed on Corridors of Power. I think Victims of the Future as well. Yeah. A period uh, for Gary Moore that I personally really like. It was the probably the hardest rock that he had made, but I loved those records and loved what he did. What can you tell me about Gary and your relationship with him? And Gary as a person, because I had only met him once very briefly. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know him that well. But w- what can you share with us about that time in your career? Um, well, working with Gary was different good fun but uh he is a hard taskmaster and i and i knew that it was gary's band you know as much as i'm a lauded sort of guest in it it's his band and it, the shots as they were called were gary's shots and i didn't mind because mostly the decisions he made were correct um but he used to leave the first five shows in the rehearsal room he would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse by the time you got out on the road you think you've been you think you've been out for two weeks um, it was the great band at the wrong time for him. Uh, and music was not that sort of music was not being accepted the way it was before. Um, and then, so when when it stopped and I left, he made the the glorious blues record. And because that got such mass acceptance, everybody thought Gary's a blues player. He wanted a rock and roll player. But because that was so successful, he can never go back and be accepted as a rock and roll player he was. Mm-hmm. You know? So when we made those two records, we had a great deal of fun. We didn't exist for very long. We didn't do that many shows. But uh, most nights we came off smiling. And uh, surely that's, that's the way it should be. But uh, amazing talent. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. I mean, you've obviously played with some unbelievable guitar players in your career, yeah. including currently with Steve Morris, of course. But, you, you know, you, you, you have, I mean, where, hearing Gary, uh, uh, people would tell me, and recently people have told me stories about just hearing him warm up, what it was yeah. like, just yeah. his warm-up. Well, you, you could not miss him warming up because he played at the same volume on his warm-up as he did, you know. Gary only had one volume. It didn't matter if he was playing in front of 20,000 people <laughs> or 200 people, you know. He might he might condescend to turn his amp sideways a little bit to stop destroying people, but he he liked playing loud, you know. But he had such a great sound, and he had just phenomenal technique. And like Steve, he has lyricism, you know. He he finds beautiful melodies, uh, 
and having all those things together in one guy is very rare. Mm. You, know. you also played with played with or on McCartney with Paul McCartney. Yeah, I did a, a, a couple of uh, couple of months with Paul, and that was great fun. Did yeah. you tour? You played live with them. We we did so much tour. We did some guest spots. You know, we did a um, couple of. You know, he's into this animal rights protection stuff, so we did a couple of fundraisers for that. We did one in L.A. and I can't remember where the other one was. And we just did a few TV shows. And we had a lot of fun, but you know, and I never met him before. You know. Uh, I got a phone call saying uh, from his office saying, Paul's going to make a rock and roll record. Uh, would you like to do the drumming on it? So what do you say? You, know, you, say, you don't go, well, I'm sorry, man. I'm too, you know, you say, yeah, <laughs> of course you do. Um, and it was, he set aside a week. And it, what he wanted to do was just record a bunch of songs from his early youth that switched him on to rock and roll. You know, some, t some were obscure, some, some were quite famous. And he said, we're going to do... Well, I hadn't met him, but I said, we can do it between Monday and a Friday, you know, the Abbey Road, and we'll record it exactly the same way that the Beatles recorded their first couple of albums. Uh, instrument be, instruments will be in the same place, we'll start at the same time, we'll finish at the same time. And we should be able to get enough of these tracks in five days to make a nice record. So, there on a Monday morning, my guy's setting the kit up, and there's all these little people waiting outside the front of Abbey Road hoping to see a Beatle. They don't know. He's got a house around the back, and he comes in through the back door. <laughs> he is a house close to Abbey Road. Oh, uh, right? yeah, yeah. Anyway, at so, least then, there's a little tip if you're going to England and looking <laughs> to meet Paul McCartney. So anyway, there, the drums were, were put where Ringo's was, and his bass was where he would have been. And we had uh, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd and Mickey Green, wonderful English guitarist from a band called Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Uh, what a band. You, him, Gilmore, Gilmore. McCartney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great uh, English keyboard player called Pete Wingfield. And we just played the, the things live. And Paul came with a stack of papers like this of songs. And he said, uh, let's try that one. And we just looked at the run through. We'd do two or three takes. And if it didn't work, he'd throw it away, pick another one. And then we'd get a take. Everybody's happy with that? Yeah, move on to the next one. So we started at 10 in the morning. We stopped at uh, 12.30 for lunch, 12, 12.30 for lunch. Picked up again at 2. Went home at 5, like a factory. We wow. did that for the five days. In five days, he had the record. And then we did a couple of these little um, pick-up gigs and benefit gigs, and that was great fun. you know. And then we did uh, – the last thing I did with was at the, at the new cavern uh, in Liverpool, and that was, that was a great night. But I knew it was a short-term thing because he moves on to so many things so quickly. And I was still in purple, so, you know, it uh, – but it's great. It's a great thing to have on your CV. You did it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, of all the drummers in the world he could have called, yeah. he wanted to do a, a real rock and roll thing, and he called Ian yeah. Pace. I mean, that's yeah. an amazing well, that, thing. It wasn't quite that way. I think his producer, I think um, Chris, a guy called Chris Thomas, I think it was, uh, was asked, you know, who can we get? To be? And he said, look, I saw I saw Pacey playing, and it's really very, very good. And so I go, and he said, bring him along then. But I know if if Monday'd been crap, I wouldn't have been there on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I've got no, I've got no sort of false uh, things thinking about that. But it was okay, and I, I he's a he's a really very nice man. Yeah. yeah, I'm considering who he is, what he is, and how his life is different. He's an incredibly nice bloke. Uh, Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers mm -hmm. is uh, he? He actually does a a, ra a weekly radio show on the channel we're on right now on yeah, volume. Yeah. You, you, he, I know he's a huge fan of yours. Yeah. And you guys have actually worked together in some capacity. We've done a couple of drum things together, you yeah. know, uh, the drum festivals or little 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 giglets together. Yeah, I think he's an I think he's an amazing drummer. 
And what he's asked to play with the chili peppers doesn't actually, actually tell you how good he is. Because with the chilies, he's a groove merchant. Mm-hmm. You know, he founds the groove and he finds it so easily, and that's what he sticks to. But when he gets a chance to play outside of that, like he, like he does with his, you know, guest bands, you see how much more there is to the guy. And he's a he's a really, really, very, very strong player. Really, is he can do wonderful things. We don't know when Deep Purple is going to end exactly. You don't, I'm sure, right? No. I mean, it's kind of open ended here. You're, yeah. you're, you, there's even been some rumblings from the other guys about potentially doing another record even and they all gave the same answer that they would only do it as long as bob ezrin is involved yeah so ezrin has obviously been a later in your career been a very important factor he made recording fun again yeah although bob is a bit of a um a taskmaster in in the studio you know he doesn't suffer fools and he doesn't waste time uh when you go in after five ten minutes of just fiddling around and you hear the sounds he's getting you know you're working with the right guy and you know that whatever you get out of that that time is going to sound great, and he's not going to let you put weak stuff in there. There's no filler tracks. You know, if the, if if there's four bars too much between verses, he just takes it away. <laughs> so that's that's not that's not what you need. This is what you need. Hmm. It's like it's like it's like a, an army. You got to have a general. You know, if all the soldiers don't know what they're doing, they might be very very good at you know one thing. But then he's a general there to say, okay, now we, we do this together. And in the studio, Bob's a general. And it works very well for us. You know, because left to our own devices, we probably do, you know, five times as much work as we actually need to do and take five <laughs> times as long over it. But he just goes, no, that's, that's good. That's, I, can, I know it's not perfect for you, but the time it's finished, it'll be, you won't even know. Yeah, Steve told me that he a couple times would say to him, uh, you're going to save that for your solo record at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not for purple right now. That's not what we're doing. The but cl- yeah, you the t- classic Bob line was, you know, if you if you're doing something, you get the the intercom. I'm not liking it, <laughs> and that meant stop. <laughs> oh. But it saved you wasting hours of something that obviously didn't sound right in the control room. But he made recording fun again, which it hadn't been for a long time. And it's still obviously important for Deep Purple, even after 50 years to continue. You could easily go out and play your catalog, but for you, creatively, it's still important to write songs even at this point. I think if you just get caught on the nostalgia thing, um, you never get out of it. And I think if you still believe you can create bits of music... With the understanding, they're probably not going to be the way they were 40 years ago. But if you think you can do something which you're proud of, worthwhile, and you think your fans are going to enjoy, then why shouldn't you keep doing it? Nobody told B.B. King he should stop, you know, gigging and touring because he was 80 years old with diabetes and had to sit down. It's still B.B. King, man. Yeah. You know, this is sort of important. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two minutes left. I want to ask you this. Deep Purple's entire catalog, there's so many people I see at your shows from so many different age groups and, and what have you. you can, it's obvious people are just discovering the band still, younger people, their parents, their dads, dads passing it down. Somebody listening to this, with the expansive catalog you have, where would you tell them, what record would you tell them is the, the record that personifies the band if they're going to start somewhere? I know that's a tough question because yeah. you're on every one of them and yeah. the, things changed. We talked about when David and Glenn came in, it became yeah. funky. Everybody brought something different. But is there is, is it Machine Head as obvious as that? Or where would you tell somebody? What, what's the record Ian Pace would say? Get this one. Probably made in Japan. Just because it's such an honest, brilliantly recorded document of a 
of a firing, young, exciting band that didn't realise there were any limits and just took the music where it went, you know. Yes, it's not purple now, but that, that document is something I'm very proud of. Well, I got to tell you, all of the Deep Purple guys, so cool, such class acts. Uh, it's rare that you get a chance to spend quality time with a band that has been making music for 50 years and still sounding amazing. And think about that. Ian Pace still playing great in his 70s, still hitting great, hitting hard, perfect uh meter timing just a monster drummer still after all these decades you never hear issues with ailments or anything with him he just keeps going and going and going and what a really nice guy and i appreciate on a day off that deep purple had ian taking some time with me to uh go through the history of deep purple like i said he is the only guy alive that you could talk to about every era of that band and has seen it and done it all and one day I hope that we can even do more with Ian about the history of that great band. And apologies for any technical glitches there may have been along the way. As I mentioned, we did have some issues with the Internet, unfortunately, that day, but made the best of it. Thank you guys for listening. Again, a very Merry Christmas to everybody. Katie Irizarry is our producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I'll catch you guys again next Thursday for another all-new episode, podcast1.com and iTunes. Be sure to visit me. And follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk. On Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. There is a fan page on Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. And EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. Music news updated daily. And uh, a whole lot more, including merch, my blog, upcoming appearances. It's all there on the site. All right, you guys have yourselves a great week. And I'll catch you next Thursday. Podcast One. It's just between us with Bailey Madison from The Good Witch. I'm a great godmother. <laughs> wow. And her sister, Caitlin Riley. What project have you done <laughs> I that your older supportive sister cannot remember? Yo, you... Two sisters with a 13-year age gap navigating the ups and downs of life together. Things we're both bad at. Dancing. Three, two, oh, yeah. Oh, yep. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say dancing. Yep. As they open up their lives to you with family stories and lessons, check out Just Between Us each week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.